All right, folks, it's time for another Deer Gear podcast. In this episode, I am joined by my personal bow tech, Luciana Romeo. This is a conversation we recorded about a month ago, and it's all about buying a new bow, what you should be asking your tech, what your tech should be asking you to get you set up properly. Finding a reputable bow tech and a reputable bow shop is becoming harder and harder, so you have to be able to vet these guys and make sure that you're going to have the best setup possible if you want your bow to be set up correctly. Can't thank Luch enough for taking the time to kind of explain his process, how he works with customers, and how to kind of take this information and translate it to your own bow tech to see if you're getting the best service out there. But before we get into this, guys, I got to give away a set of arrows. I got to give away a full dozen Exodus MMT arrows. So I was quietly waiting for some more reviews to pop in, and right now I'm going to announce the winner. So here we have... Let's see here. Let me take a random generator here. Okay. SM Done 14. SM Done 14. Get a hold of me on Instagram or shoot us an email at info at exodusoutdoorgear.com and let us know that you were the one that left the review on July 15th because you are the winner of the new Exodus MMT Arrow. So, guys. Thank you for tuning in. I hope this conversation adds some value to your life. And let's get right into it with Luciana Romeo. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Deer Gear Podcast. Today, I am joined by my personal bow tech, Luch Romeo. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming in, man. Got you in the office here today. This is the first time in 44 episodes that I've recorded now that in the same week, I've had two guests come into the office, so I feel pretty special. Well, again, I appreciate you having me, man. I've never actually done a podcast before, so I'm pretty excited. Well, that's good, man. This will be fun. We'll, we're, we'll focus this, obviously, around what you know most, and that's archery, okay. archery equipment. Uh, you are a bow tech at Fin Feather and Fur in Boardman, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Right now is the time of year where you're slammed. Yeah, it's... um. It's getting there every day. You can just see more and more, uh, and it's little stuff right now. Guys getting their strings, buying broadheads. It's just the little stuff. It's kind of the calm before the yeah. storm here. It's about to let loose. But before we get into anything, you've never been on a podcast before, so no one listening here is going to know what you have going on. So give everyone here a little bit of background about yourself, where you're from, how you got into archery, the whole nine yards, the whole baseball card. Yeah. So originally, I grew up in Warren. Um, just moved out here to Vienna, um, not even maybe six months ago, but hunting has just been in my family, oh God, since my dad was a kid. Um, and I remember when he was little, him introducing me to it, I used to just like want to go outside and sit with him while he would shoot his bow. And I remember it was just like such an intriguing thing to sit there and just, it was so cool to me. Like I'm watching, like, what is he? Like, I couldn't comprehend what a, like a bow was and how everything worked on it, but it was just like watching him shoot arrows. And, like, the first little taste of hunting just kind of did it for me. Like, it just became, like, an obsession slowly and slowly over time, getting more involved and more involved. And how I actually got into being a tech was Joe Alt used to be the tech before me. 
yeah. Elpid Finn. He was. Yeah. I don't know if you remember him or not. He worked on a bow for me because I had a rest that no one has ever seen before, mm-hmm. and he had worked on it before. Is the Schaefer XV rest, mm-hmm. and he was like, that was like his thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I do. I do remember Joe. Joe was the man. Everything he touched just shot like a dream. So, I remember I got my first real official bow off him because this is when like the session really started to snowball. And I remember him asking me, he's like, do you want to, you want a job here? And like, I thought he was like screwing with me. I'm like, well, yeah. I'm like, but <laughs> yeah. you guys aren't hired. And he's like, no, he's like, I'm actually going to be leaving. He's like, so we're going to need another tech. And I was like, heck yeah, man. I'm like, sign me up. I'm like, but what do I have to do for training? He's like, I'll take care of that. He's like, I will train you. Oh, sweet. And I remember applying and literally the first day from when I started, it was just like a totally different ball game. And I love that aspect of, okay, what makes a bow what it is? How can we get this thing to shoot perfect for you? Because, yeah, okay, if I shoot your bow perfect, okay, well, that does nothing. Right. Because how can I make your bow shoot good for you? So that is, like, my favorite thing I tell customers all the time is when we're tuning the bow, I'm like, this is the fun part for me. Because I get to see, okay, what's it doing? Yeah. How do I fix it? So I love that part of it. And setting them up, and it's constantly watching videos from T-Bone or Dudley especially, and just breaking down, okay, well, they did this, this, and this, okay, and I did this, but they had better results with this. Sure. So constantly studying, and it's literally an obsession almost isn't the word for it because it's just constant. When you're yeah. not at work, I'm still doing stuff. It's passion, okay, how can I man. be better yeah. at what I do? And I love it, man. There's just there's nothing like it to me. Yeah, I, I always feel confident when you have my bow in your hands or if Jonathan has my bow in his hands. You guys go the extra mile and – any anytime I'm there, you're not like, let's try to get this kid out of here. Mm-hmm. Or any other customer that's there, you're like, hey, mm-hmm. let's fix this thing while you're here right now. Anytime you go in there, it's an hour plus every every time. Yeah, and, you know, we get a lot of guys that are, okay, well, this is going to be quick, fast, and in a hurry. I'm like, we can make it quick, fast, and in a hurry. I'm like, but it's never the same as you're gonna taking be back. that extra. Right. Yeah. And we've really noticed, you know, since I really started tech in there, before even Creed started, is it was – like right as soon as Joe left, it was like a quick guy set up at the factory. Nobody really, we didn't have many customers looking at tuning and things like that. So it was everything looks good, go home, go shoot, and everyone was happy. Yeah. It was like time has evolved. You can really see everyone's like understands, okay, I'm going to be here. There's a lot more that goes into this to sure. making this sure this thing shoots like bullets. So cool. it's just cool to see how it's how far it's really come. How long have you been there? I've been there five years. Nice. That's, it's like uh I had my first bow set up from Joe, and I think, I think when I had that happening, you were training with mm-hmm. him. Yep. And so that was like my first bow experience. So the whole nine yards, I've been like, Luch, what's going on, man? I, I got a new bow. Come set me up. So mm-hmm. um, you are the Hoyt rep there. Yes. You're a big Hoyt guy. Mm-hmm. Um, let's take all the bias out of it. Yeah. And let's kind of walk through like the process of – Buying a new bow mm-hmm. and what you need to be looking for, what you need to be a pen- pay attention to, and your approach to setting someone up in a new bow. They, they're this is not a new bow hunter. I want to make that clear. Someone that's been shooting right. X bow for a real long time. Mm-hmm. What's kind of the approach that you guys take with? Okay, we're going to set this up and someone new. We're going new bows are out. Well, take it from there. So pretty much the th- number one thing we want to establish is everyone still has a budget. So I will just flat out come and ask, be like, keep. Give me a number to keep you under because I'm not 
if you can afford five hundred dollars, I'm not going to show you an eighteen hundred dollar bow and go, oh well, yeah, let's get this one. Waste of time. Right. So establishing that first, and then dissecting the bow from there. Okay, what are you looking for out of the bow? Do you want just smooth as butter? Do you want some a little bit more speed, better let off, things like that? Like you said, being the Hoyt guy. I try to take my bias out of it all the time, and I will just tell a customer, you're going to spend, say they want to spend $1,000 on a bow. You're going to spend that much money, you might as well shoot both two, three brands. Shoot oh, them sure. all, because we yeah. carry Prime now, too. Yep. So set them all up and shoot it, and the bow is going to pick you. So many guys have come in, I want a Hoyt, or I want a Matthews, or I want a Prime, and they shoot all three, and they're like, well, I didn't like the Hoyt I was coming in for. I didn't like the Prime I was coming in for, and they end up with a Matthews. So... It's literally as soon as you grab it and you draw it and you shoot it, you're kind of like, okay, this is what I like. So just kind of walking them through it and then not just on the bow, but, okay, this is the kind of setup we would look for for you and this is the things we want to put you in. This is kind of broadhead we want to look at, your arrow selection. That has really developed a lot since this FOC has oh, yeah. come a long way. Is not everyone just wants a standard arrow with the factory insert. Arrow. Okay, how do I build with 20% FOC or 15% FOC? So diving into that has come a long way, which is – which is nice. I mean, you're seeing guys get a lot better performance and getting a lot more ethical kills yeah. than they were before. But having them shoot the bow, deciding what they want from there, and then tweaking small things. So even seasoned guys, you know, they come in and they see me and they're like, this 25-year-old kid's going to tell me about bow <laughs> I'm sure that's a big He's going to set yeah. me up. Yeah. So it's nice in a way to kind of be like, okay, I know what I'm doing. Let me just Yeah, it's what I do every do day. Thing. Right. Yeah. So there's so many guys that have been shooting for a while and there's just little things on their form that could be critiqued or touched here or there and they're like, well, holy crap, I never even realized that before and I'm shooting a lot better. I'm like, it's little stuff. Yep. So setting up the bow for me, I'm almost more excited for them mm -hmm. because I'm like, I can't wait to see how this thing's going to turn out and look. Like, I'm excited yeah. just to know that this thing, when they walk out that door, they're happy, there's not a doubt in their mind and they're looking forward to having that investment that they made in because we have so many people anymore that every single year well, i want to buy a new bow well, i want to buy a new bow is if you can afford that great if not we want to make sure that the investment you put in is worth it in the long run for you yeah and let me tell you something if you're that guy that wants to buy a new bow every year mm -hmm. it is freaking frustrating oh. man. <laughs> like getting a new bow and to me is frustrating yeah when you have someone that took all the time to set you up and you're shooting perfect mm -hmm. and you go to something new it's not all candies and rainbow. Mm -hmm. It's like there's some like some time there that you have to allocate to shooting that bow to get you to where you used to be, mm -hmm. to where I'm at the point where right now I wish I didn't buy a new bow. I wish I just stuck to what I knew, got some new strings, mm -hmm. got a new set of arrows, put a new sight on it, and went away with like just keep shooting what I was shooting. Right. But I, I fell in love with the idea of the new bow accessories and slimming the profile down and the balance aspect of it. Mm -hmm. But I'll be flat out, man. I don't shoot this bow as well as I shot my Triax. I just don't. Right. And part of the reason why I ordered those 80% let off mods, I'm going to see if that makes a difference. Yeah. I just, just aired a podcast um, just a little bit ago about like the difference. What you what happens to your bow when you have an 85% let off or an 80% let off or 85 or 90 or 75? What that 5% of let off does mm -hmm. to the way you hold the bow the power stroke of the bow, like there's so many things that go into that. And mm -hmm. like tuning a, a bow, I'm sure that you've uh, experienced this with like a bunch of different people. But the this guy was telling me, I'm not a bow tech, so I'm just going to be reiterating what he was saying. Yeah. But um, tuning a bow, the and tuning an arrow that 
is shot out of a bow with an 85%, 90% let off is a lot harder than tuning an arrow out of an 80% let off or a 75% let off bow mm-hmm. because the power stroke applied to the arrow is more harsh. So you have that line here where there's no no, no energy, no energy, no energy, and then boom, Smash you it. have 85% mm-hmm. of the, like, right there, mm-hmm. 85% increase. So the power stroke is just a line rather than kind of more gradual. Like a gradual, yeah. So the arrow has to be able to handle that, and the bow has to be able to efficiently put that energy into the arrow. So he was he was just like, he had me convinced. I got off the podcast, like the minute I got off, I called you. I was like, hey, man, I need to change yeah. this. So this is going to be the 15th time <laughs> I've had to change something this year. I called you the one day, and th- this was this was funny. I called you, and I was like, hey, man, I called Finn. I didn't call your cell phone. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, what's going on, man? It's your most annoying customer. And you knew exactly who it was. You didn't even say, like, who who would that be? You're like, oh, it's Cam. <laughs> I was like, son of a bitch. He knows me as his most annoying customer. Uh, no, I just did the boy. As soon as it came yeah. through, I was like, I know who this is. But it, it was funny. So, anyway, um, the let's, let's kind of talk about – so you're a Hoyt dealer – Matthew's dealer, Prime dealer. Mm-hmm. You do carry some other stuff, right? Yeah, we carry Bear, like their economy line of bows. Sure. So the flagships, you don't have Bear's flagship. We do not. Okay. No. So let's kind of talk about the characteristics or the stereotypes of the three different bows. You have Matthew's, Prime, Hoyt. What do you see, like, if a guy comes in and tells you, like, I want a smooth bow or I want a speed bow or I want X in my bow, what, like, what characteristics do you see different through each of the three? So it's comparing each bow to one another, like what sets each one apart? Yeah. yeah so the thing that I have found, we'll start with Matthews first, is their bows are extremely dead in the hand. They're extremely quiet. They've had that for years. Nobody's been able to like to ever take that away from them. Guys, their draw cycle is so smooth right off the rip. It stacks a little bit towards the end and it dumps. And I can't tell you how many guys love that. Yeah, right. They're like, they're so used to it and they love just feeling that thud. Yep. Which is great. Some guys don't like it. Some guys do, which that's just all the preference in it. That's because of the way the cam breaks? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we just the cam, the way the cam rolls over. But, like, one of the nicest things that I've actually found about Matthews is I was always, their grips were always kind of funky. That's how my hand works and how they fit in my hand. But they have, like, that little piece on the riser that your thumb sits up against. Yeah. Never even paid attention to it before, and like once I actually started utilizing that, it was more comfortable. And they do actually make a really nice grip. That bridge lock that they introduced this year is great. Um, just guys that have a dovetail don't have to oh, worry yeah. about buying a new site. Um, that 33-inch model is is smooth, in my opinion. If I was going to own a Matthews, it'd be that one. It's just butter coming oh, yeah. all the way through. It holds great. It shoots really good. Um, that... That would be my bow of choice. Um, as we move to Prime, we have the inline threes because we just picked them up. Um, they use a limb stop, which is my favorite thing because as soon as you hit your wall, it's just dead, rock solid. Yep. You don't have to worry about, oh, am I pulling through anymore? No, you're there. That's it. The other thing that's really cool about Primes is they have like that S design in the riser. And their cams are actually two different sizes. Yeah. Like, if you look at it, and the way they did that was for tuning purposes and because of the grip actually sits in the true center of the bow. It's not like Hoyt or Matthews where the grip sits lower and you right. have more riser above. Yep. You don't have that problem. And they shoot really nice. They have a little bit of, like, vibration right after, but it dissipates really quickly. And it, it's a really good shooting bow. We've 
had a, actually a pretty decent amount of following. Guys are like, wait, you carry Prime now? Oh, sweet. So it's actually working out pretty good. We're pretty excited for those. The closest Prime deer, dealer previous was Bill's Field and Stream? Mm, I believe so. And that's a, that's over in Pennsylvania. Yeah. yeah. It was a pretty good ways. I mean, actually, I remember Chad coming in. Yeah. Before we picked up Prime, he's like, hey, we got to paper tune this thing. And I was like, I'm going to tell you right now, though, if we need to shim this cam, I'm like, I can't help you. I don't have Prime shims, which right. now we won't have that issue anymore. Um going to Hoyts, going to a binary cam last year benefited them extremely well. I mean, the cam and a half was a great cam for them, but it's just smooth the whole way through. Like you feel it right off the rip, a little bit of weight that stacks, and then it's just it rotates so nice and you don't feel anything. The thing with them that I thought they corrected and did a great job was they always had a little bit of hand shock and the bows were a little bit louder. Well, this is the first time that they built the bow around the cam, mm. which, again, I think was tremendous for them. It fixed a lot of issues. It's having that binary cam. You get a great back wall now. And they've actually taken time to build a solid aluminum bow because everyone who thought of Hoyt. Carbon. carbon. Yeah, nobody thought of aluminum. You're like, right. dude, I ain't spending $1,500 on a carbon. Now, with like the Ventum and the Ventum Pro, they do a very great job of competing with Matthews sure. and with Prime and some of those other manufacturers. Um, the nice thing about, just like Matthews has the two different axle-axle links, well, it gives you the same thing. And so Prime actually gives you three. Yeah. So having those different options, all are extremely dead in the hand now, very quiet. And Toyt has their Picatinny system that's similar to Matthews Bridge Lock. Yep. There's just a lot of different things going on with those. Um, you honestly can't go wrong with either any of them, and I try to tell people that because the biggest thing that I notice Everyone today wants to shoot bows almost for the name. Oh, dude, it's a, like a thousand percent. Mm -hmm. Dude, my buddy shoots a Matthews. I got to have a Matthews. I'm like, have you ever shot that bow? No. Guys come in. I want, dude, I want to shoot a Hoyt because it says Hoyt. I'm like, all right, I love hearing that. <laughs> I'm like, don't <laughs> right. get me wrong. I'm like, but I would be doing you wrong if I didn't tell you to shoot the other ones. Right. So it's don't get caught up in the hype of advertising in the name. Shoot them. Yeah. Because you never know what you're going to like. Right. That the, would be the benefit of. Going to a pro shop that isn't just trying to sell you something mm -hmm. is getting that aspect. Like you guys had a, a a deal going on where if you shot all three flagships, you got a free target. If you if you shot all three, you got a free pack of broadheads. If oh, yeah. you bought one, you got a free target. Yeah. But it was a great way for just everyone to be like, and and it was we got great feedback. We big guys be like, okay, I like this about Matthews. I like this about Hoyt. I like this about Prime. I didn't like this about the Matthews. I didn't like this about the Hoyt. I didn't like this about the Prime. And we've actually had some of those customers come back and buy bows. Yeah. So it's great to know because most people, when they think of Finn, is a firearm store. But our archery is really, really coming on strong. So I, it's a really good thing. I mean, it's something I like seeing too. Yeah, so. I love I love it for the area. And I love it for bow hunters in the area. Mm -hmm. We finally have something that we can rely on because I've always been I'm traveling an hour plus to get my bow worked on because there just wasn't anything around right. that I was like, okay, I'm going to take my bow to this guy. He's going to treat me well, and he's going to set me up well. Mm -hmm. You can have guys that will set you up well, but they'll treat you like garbage. Mm -hmm. Or you'll have the opposite where they'll treat you like the best thing in the world, but they'll, your bow's going to be not perfect. They, like, fool you with the, we're talking yeah. to you great, like, but we don't actually. My biggest thing, man, is guys bring stuff in from other shops, and they're like, all they did was eyeball everything. I'm like, I personally, I'm. I'm not at that point yet. I'm like, I'm not as good as like T-Bone or Dudley or some of these other guys. But like, they're eyeballing stuff. I'm like, none of this looks even yeah, are close, they cross to it, <laughs> close to what it looks like. So 
it's little stuff like that that we notice and just we're gaining more and more from just around the area in general those guys are like i'm just tired of where i was and i want this this and this and we're like okay well we can provide you with all those things yeah so it's really nice just to know we're starting to gain more speed and even though like i said we look at just a bunch two 25 year olds that don't know much it's we like proving people wrong in a way yeah so. i almost like going to um i mean I'm, I'm your age so i almost like having someone that might be younger and like kind of hip to the new way of doing things mm-hmm. because not be, like you could do something the same way for 50 years and it worked fine mm-hmm. but there might be a better way to do it now right so there's i like having that um in my bow tech it's funny we've actually had a couple guys bring in bows and be like the shop we were just at the guy eyeballed everything and he they asked him can we shoot through paper and he's like i gotta shoot great through paper don't even worry about it what and he just handed them the bow and sent them on their way and i was like so, I mean, come to find out, their knocking point was way off. Their cams weren't even timed. And I'm like, and he just told you this is going to shoot great through paper. Have a nice day. Oh, God. Oh, it's rough to see some of the stuff we do get. I'm sure. So let's let's walk through, like, the, the process. Someone gets a new <coughs> bow, mm-hmm. and they want to take it to a shop. What are some of the things that people should look for in a pro shop? Because not everyone that listens to this is going to be able to come to Finn, right? Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things that, like, what are some of the questions you should be asking or that you should be asked from your bow tech to know like, okay, I'm going to have, I'm going to be taken care of. Okay. A couple things is you don't want somebody who's going to fast talk you. It, it's just like a car salesman. If you get somebody in there that's just trying to blitz you with all kind of stuff, sell you the most expensive stuff, just take time out. <laughs> yeah. Like you don't always need the most expensive to have a really good setup. You want to ask, or when you bring the bow to them, the first thing they should ask you is, okay, is this both like the draw length and everything all set up what poundage and they should just kind of get an idea of where you want to be what are you looking at of your setup do you want like are you just whitetail hunting are you going to be going out west like there's just a bunch of little questions that they should kind of get some feedback in their head and you'll notice those things will come about when you start picking your accessories so i told them that i'm just going to be bow hunting farther i'm shooting at 30 yards okay he immediately went to a three pin and he's like okay here you go this is going to be perfect for you He's, you get that old school guy. You're like, okay, you don't need a drop away. Here's a whisker biscuit. Like your shop should pay attention to the little things that you give hint to them in the questions that you ask them and that they ask you. So if you bring it in and, you know, say a guy has a mid price point bow. Um, so he's got like a mission. Sure. Okay. And he's just looking for a white tail setup. And a guy's like, okay, you need this $350 site and you need this $350 or $250 QAD. And, Stop. <laughs> you don't, you don't, that's the salesman. He's yeah. just trying to get the most out of you. What is going to be the most effective for your setup? When I, if I'd walk into a bow shop and it, I'm going to try to say this without any bias, knowing like what I know, if I look in there, if I see like tools laying all over the place and I can't find somebody, that would be red flag number one. Oh, yeah. Just because you got stuff everywhere. It's not neat. It's not organized. You want to make sure it's like attention to detail type stuff. If they're eyeballing things, that would be like a red flag. Ask them some of their experience. I mean, I've had guys, and it wasn't like insulting or anything to me, be like, okay, how long have you been doing this? I'm like, I've been doing this about five years. Like, and I kind of, yeah, <laughs> right. you know, just go through um, everything that I know. Don't be afraid to ask those kind of questions. If they get pissed at you, then that's that might be a red flag in itself because um, you should be able to ask those questions. Um, I would say the most important, important question to ask is 
how can we set this bow up to make it the most effective for me staying in my budget? Because I don't want, I'm never going to try to upsell somebody who has a budget. Yeah, right. I mean, if you come in and say, look, I can only spend $200 on accessories, I'm not going to say, well, your site alone is going to be $250 and then just try to get you to add on to that bill. The questions I'm going to ask is, do you have arrows that you want to use already? Do you have anything from an old bow we want to transfer? What does your old setup look like? Give me an idea because I'm like painting a picture in my head of, okay, what does this guy have before? Does he want to stay similar to that? Does he want to change something? Does he want to scrap everything and start Start over? over. So your tech should ask them those kind of things. Um, And make sure you get someone that is truly just looking at archery. You know, like there's big outdoor stores that – they don't have somebody that's just archery. They work wherever, and they go, hey, we're going to put you in archery today. And you go, yeah, I'm looking for a bow. And they go, here you go. And they send you on your way. That's not... That's the not, old Cabela's. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't want to say nothing, but it, it's true. I mean, we've had guys, well, I bought this bow, because they run sales and everything, and yeah. I, I get that. And But they're like, they didn't set up anything for me, or this is... I mean, you got a girl that comes in shooting 32-inch long arrows yep. with a 24-inch draw, and I'm like, yeah, this isn't going to work. I'm like, we got to tweak some stuff here. Yeah. So just little things. Sure. Just a lot of little things. Walk me through the entire process step-by-step step, that you go through to, to tune a bow properly. I bring you my bow. Um, let's say it's a bow that I've been shooting for a while, but it's out of whack. It's not a fresh out-of-the-factory bow. Okay. What are the things? Like, What are the first things you're going to check? What are you going to have me do? And let's go through the entire process. So we'll take your triax. First thing I'm going to do is get an arrow from you and your bow. I'm going to level the bow, everything up. I'm going to check your knocking point first. The arrow I'm shooting, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Um, I'm going to check a couple things as far as, because on Matthews, they give you them timing marks, which are just to give you an idea. They're not always exact. So I'm going to check those to see where they're at. And I'm also going to look over the bow, make sure there's no serving rip and fran anywhere because if that serving's ripped and your string is exposed, it's going to wear down quickly. It's going to affect your bow. We're going to go over that first. I'm going to check your knocking point. Typically on your bow, knock level to an eighth is where about where they want to tune as far as knock high and low goes. If that's good, I'll take it out and we'll go check the timing of it. If it's not good, we'll tie a new D-loop accordingly. Mm-hmm. So we'll check your cam timing. If those aren't in time, we'll make the adjustments as need be um, and go from there. We'll take you into the lane with one of your arrows. Actually, take a step back. Before that, we'll double-check, make sure your axis on your sight and everything is good because if one of them screws happen to come loose, you know, in your second axis or anything, and you're standing there and you're torquing the crap out of your bow, and you're like, I can't get rid of this knock-left hair. And you're like, well, that could be why if your bubble's three miles to the left and you really can't into account for it. Right. From there, we'll go into the lane. Set up the paper tuner, we'll have you shoot a couple arrows and kind of get a feel for what the bow's doing. Sometimes bows just fall out of time or if they fall out of tune, especially, you know, guys' timing will stay the same, but a lot of shops won't check your axle to axle. Yeah. And if that is stretched stretched. and your pound is stretched, it might not be optimum from the arrow you're shooting. So we'll kind of make sure everything gets tightened back up to where where it'll be, and then we'll go there just fixing it, whether that's going to be using your top hats or just moving your rest. So it's... Not a, a huge complicated process. It's just it's a little bit time consuming. Oh yeah. And it's just a lot of places don't want to be bothered with it. Right. Like, I'm not taking the extra time. Like this looks fine. You're just gonna be white to hunt anyway. But yeah, wouldn't you rather know that the bow you set up could kill the biggest buck of this guy's life or girl's life, the kid's life, or make the shot of a lifetime? Like right. You, you this guy made like a a 50 yard shot because he was confident in a setup mm-hmm. where. 
previously he wouldn't have that opportunity because he was shooting a bow that his max range was 30 yards. Right. We have I have two really great customers of mine, and they both went on. The one went on an elk hunt the year before last, and the other one went last year. This is the first time he actually let me set up his bow because he had another tech that he was familiar with. We, he doesn't do it anymore, so he was like, yeah, here's your time it, yeah. to shine. I was like, I, I got it. And he's like, I'm putting a lot of faith in you. I'm going on my first elk hunt here, and I'm like, I got this. Set it up for him, and he destroyed his elk, blew right through it, and he was happier than a pig in mud. Same thing with the other guy. Went out. He was so happy with his setup that he actually brought me back an elk steak, which oh, was nice. probably the greatest that <laughs> I've ever had. I mean, it blew venison out of the water. But it was like you can be on one of two ends of that. You can be on the you did a heck of a job or my arrow went sideways in midair and I missed. So, it, like, that's the kind of stuff I play in my head is, like, every bow that I got in front of me, I'm like, this is mine. Yeah. I need to treat this and take care of it as if it's my own. Right. Which you're not going to, you know, half-ass yeah. <laughs> your own stuff. So Let's talk about paper tuning. So mm-hmm. this is a step that you said some people will skip. Yep. And what is your opinion on paper tuning? Is it ne- is it necessary? So it's kind of like controversial because some guys will tell you, yeah, it's completely worth it. And other guys will tell you it's not worth it. Right. a darn thing. I think it's very helpful, but it also depends on the person. Because a lot of times you have people that no matter how much you try to fix or tweak their form to kind of help them be consistent for where they want to be, they the bow is just not – like they're all over the place. Sure. Like they'll be left and they'll be left and you'll fix it and then they'll go even further left or they'll go even or they'll go way too far right or they're all over the place so i will just be like okay we're not even gonna french tune we're gonna just walk back tune you which is just a quicker simpler way to make sure your arrow's sticking straight and your rest left and right is good it's almost like blind bailing sure but i think for that guy that is hardcore and wants to make sure that everything not even hardcore. That guy that's almost like a perfectionist, and I want everything to be just doing what it's supposed to do. I think paper tuning is a great thing, but it's something that you need to set aside some time because it's going to – sometimes we shoot one shot, and you're like, all right, <laughs> you're great. See you later. Other times it's – I've had guys in there for a while just – and it's not even always them. It's the bow. You know, like limb deflections could be off. Got to take the bow apart, swap some limbs around, and yeah. try it again. And that fixes the problem. But it's it can be a time-consuming thing. So it's just something to be aware of. What are the what are the fixes for the different kinds of tears that you'll get through paper? So, for example, if you have a knock-high tear, a couple things. You can either raise your arrow rest or lower your knocking point. Okay. So... If you don't have a rest, that's the only reason I don't like micro-adjust rest, and that's why that is the most important piece on a bow to me, is if you need to make those quick little adjustments, you can do it in your rest. Yep. If, you know, the guy has a whisker biscuit on there and he's got a knock-high tear, it's, well, i got to cut the D-loop off and i got to raise it and tie another one. And sometimes if it's not enough, you got to do it again. So it's playing that little tweaking game, having that good rest goes a long way. Sure. Um if you have a left and right tear, a lot of the time, as soon as you shoot, and I can see a left or right tear, I'll just look at how big the tear is. Okay. If it's a minute tear, all we do is adjust your rest. I mean, I've seen some guys bringing bows from other shops. They've had over an inch tear, and the guys will bump their rest. You know, if they had a right tear, they'll move it all the way out to the left, and you look at their arrows sticking so <laughs> off center, and you're like, okay. And they don't want a yoke tune. I actually had a guy bring me in a bow. He goes, my shop didn't want a yoke tune. He goes, no, you're right-handed. Your right cable's already got plenty of load on it. And he's like, we're not going to yoke to. And I was like, "That's the yokes are there f- for that purpose. Right. So that was the whole thing. But it's 
we won't always move the rest depending on how big the tear is. Minute tears, moving the rest a little bit. Some some manufacturers will tell you from where your center shot is, like 13 sixteenths, they'll give you an inch to move either way. They're like, you have an inch to go left or go right it's to fix a, your tear. Quite a bit of room there. Yeah. You don't want to go to that inch, but some guys are like, I want to leave the factory shims where they're at. Let's just move the rest. And you're like, are you sure? And they're like, yeah. We're going to do what makes you happy. Yeah. But – Looking at that tear sometimes, shimming is a lot better than adjusting your rest, just depending okay. on the tear. But they're t- typically quick fixes, unless you have something catastrophic going on in your rest, or guys will bring in custom strings from some guy off eBay, <laughs> and they're not they're not the right lengths, the right specs, and the bow just won't tune because everything's not working the way it's supposed to. Right. So what about, um, like, overspined and underspined? What, what, what kind of reaction through paper are you going to get there? Overspined, you typically see a right tear. Um, depending on how overspine, sometimes we have to really use some big shims. Sometimes they won't even tune just because this heavy FOC craze is guys will, you know, I think he had a 30-inch draw and he was shooting 70 pounds, but he had a 250 spine with like 400 grains up front. Oh, shit. And he's like, yeah, I don't know why it won't tune. I'm like, I mean, I can think of a reason why it won't tune. (laughs) (laughs) But typically you're going to get a right tear with overspine, a left tear will be a weak spine. Okay. I always try to tell guys, if you're looking at an arrow chart, always try to be, if you can't get it exact, always a touch stiffer. I'd yeah. rather you be a touch stiffer than a tough touch weak. Sure. Just because we don't want anything happening to that arrow where it goes through your hand. Yep. So just something to be very cautious of. What about um, guys that come in and they have their bow, they're like, my field tips are shooting great. I put my broad head on it and it won't tune for shit i can't shoot it what, what do you do in that case so typically fixed blades are the main yeah yeah right. the main issue when it comes to that and it's a couple of things is we'll take them in the lane we'll make sure they're boasted if their bow's not shooting a bullet we'll get it shooting a bullet and have them <clears throat> we'll tell them okay go back home try it now if the broadheads are still flying funky there's a couple of different things we can do we'll take out their inserts like we'll heat them and pull them out and we'll screw in their broadheads and then index them to their veins and then re-glue them back in yep a lot of times, is guys might have a, uh, their bows tuned perfectly, but their veins aren't lining up with their blades, and they're like, yeah, it's pulling it all over the place. I'm like, right, it's because your veins are trying to steer the arrow one way, and your veins are trying to connect, correct yeah. it another way. They're catching wind from different directions. Right, right, which sometimes they don't want to hear that, and they just go to an expandable, which I'm like, I, I mean, if you want to shoot an expandable, yeah, but if you want to shoot a fixed blade, number one, your bow needs to be tuned. Yep. And depending on the fixed blade, they just need to be indexed to your veins. Yep. Like, Magnus, I've never had a guy say these won't fly straight and i just solely it's just the design of them they fly tremendous i mean you're gonna have to sight in your bow to them but typically like your three blades like your muzzy or some of your g5s is guys be like these won't fly straight if my life depended on it and i'm like well most of the time their bow is in tune or their blades aren't indexed to their veins it's just quick fixes if you don't want to take your inserts out you can go to like a hardware store and get rubber o-rings one size smaller than the diameter of your arrow and screw your broadhead on over those, and it'll allow you to make it snug, but enough where you can still uh, yeah, yeah. tweak it to line it up to save you a little bit of time. That's a hot tip there. Yeah. I have, uh, I, I've been shooting the Afflictor K2 Fix broadheads for a while. Mm-hmm. Never had an issue with them flying. I've never heard of anyone like mm-hmm. personally shooting them and having an issue. But we did some testing with like three blade fixed blades or four blade fixed blades and two blade fixed blades. The three-blade fixed blade, it was more crucial for the vein alignment than it was mm-hmm. for a two-blade. Mm-hmm. 
or a four blade. But the biggest thing that I found there was just having them, if if the three blades are shooting okay, if they're shooting right but they're not aligned, the biggest thing for that was having them consistently align the same way. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're not right in, in line with your veins, right. but they're all catching wind at the launch point from the very same angle. Mm-hmm. So that was the biggest thing that we found with that. Yeah, and I same thing. I've John, his dad, reps Afflictor. I've from all the broadheads they've sold, and from all the videos I've seen, I've never had somebody say these don't fly. They've been accurate as accurate can be, and they put some pretty big holes oh, in some animals. So I, I don't have anything bad to say about them at all. But that is that is true. I've noticed that three blades typically want to fight you the most as far as flight. Two blades. It's almost like, okay, just tweak your sight to them, and you're yep. good to go. Yep. <clears throat> Do you ever paper tune or tune with broadheads outside of just field, like <laughs> throw the field point away? I haven't, um, typically because we just don't shoot broadheads in our shop sure. just because it destroys the block target, yeah. and then I get yelled at. Yeah. <laughs> That's destroyed because those are expensive. Um, so I can't say that we have. I, I know a couple guys that have, and they say it works. Yeah, I've. I, that's something I always thought of, like, Everyone's like, well, I can't. I get my field points to fly great, and I put a fixed blade on it. Why don't you just tune it with the blade, the mm-hmm. broadhead on there? I've seen guys actually just blind belt tune yeah, with them. They could do that. And too. they're like, yeah, instead of actually shooting through paper, and you're going to have that big hole from the broadhead, they're like, that actually does it. And yeah. It's crazy to see the difference from just your field tip. Because guys think, well, it's just the same green. It should fly the same. I'm like, I wish it was that easy. I'm yeah. like, it's just not. Yeah, they're not the same size. They're not the same aspect ratio. They're longer, they're mm-hmm. wider. Mm-hmm. Like, the, when they say fly like a field point, like the only way to get it to fly like a field point is to design it like a field point. Right. That's the only way. It's plain and simple. Yeah. That's, uh, man, that, that has to be something as a, a bow tech that's really challenging with like misinformation or people getting bad information mm-hmm. and coming in and telling you like, no, I saw this on the internet. This is what I want. And yeah. like you'll have that and like you try to get it to work for them and it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Biggest thing we see with guys too, whether shooting a fixed blade or expandable, is terrible shot selection. And they blame the broadhead every single time. And I'm like, okay, so walk me through what happened. Guy had his granddaughter he was hunting with. She was, he showed me a picture. It was a beautiful 10 point. Walked in 20 yards, was facing him. And she let him, he let her shoot facing the deer. Shot in the chest, came out the other side. He blamed the broadhead. It never opened. And he was mad at me because I said he shot the G5 Mega Meets, and I'm like, I know for a fact that those blades open. Because he goes, it shot into the ground. He goes, but when I pulled it out, you know, and I'm looking at the head that he brought in, I'm like, no, these open. But I'm like, why'd you let her shoot it? Like, it was, that's not a very good shot. I'm like, with a gun? All right. Yeah. You got a lot more mass trauma going on there. I'm like, with an arrow, you have any idea how perfect she had to put that shot? Right. And he blaming the broadhead. Same thing with fixed blades. Guys take terrible shots. Well, it didn't. I didn't have a very good blood trail, or you know, I never found the deer, or this and I'm like, dude, take better. Wait, if he walks away, it wasn't meant to be. There will be another deer. Yeah. But guys just get in that rush, dude, and they want to shoot it, and then they're gonna blame their equipment every single time. When a lot of times it's not. Yeah, that's like that's got to be the most common complaint, right? No one. Oh yeah. No one's gonna admit that they did it. That they, they, they screwed up. Do guys miss with their bow? Dude, this bow, I need a new one, and it's the bow. I'm like, really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, but you target you great. Yeah, it's not. It's not you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's that's something that's like it's it's a challenge that you're gonna deal with a lot, and that's part of the reason why we started this podcast platform was to educate people on 
good information because there's yeah. a lot of bad information out there, especially when it comes to archery. There's a lot of information that just has been around for a long time. And mm-hmm. I just talked to a guy that um, he he said something that stuck with me, and he, he said it's perception versus reality. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, this looks like it's doing what it's supposed to be doing, and it's I've done it this way my whole life, and that is actually what works. And But in the reality of it, it's not working. Right. The biggest thing that I've noticed, and actually the best advice I can give to everyone out there that always sees something and they want to jump right on it, opinions are like armpits. Everybody has one. Yeah. So if you hear, like a perfect example, they hear something on this podcast. Okay, if you don't don't jump. Right, yeah. Do some more research. If you hear it from three, four, five, six other credible sources in the outdoor industry, okay, it's probably true. Could be. If you only hear it from one person and it's some guy that worked in some shop and he tells you, I'm telling you right now, this is – you might want to rethink, you know, because a lot of the times that credible information will come from more credible sources. Yeah. Yeah. So. And the problem with like, I'm going to play devil's advocate here a little bit, but Mm -hmm. the problem with the other side of that thing is like, just because everyone's talking about it doesn't always, doesn't necessarily mean that that's Mm -hmm. what's right. That's just what was sold to someone the most. That's a good point. So, I mean, I I don't fall on the heavy FOC trend. It's a big trend right now. Mm-hmm. It's a huge trend. And there's like some information that backs it up that it is what it is. I don't fall on that same trend because I don't think that it's the best arrow setup for a whitetail hunter specifically. Uh, the things that it does to your arrow mm-hmm. that you can't see or you don't know that's happening, it's it could be detrimental. Right. And I've shot, uh, I've shot four bucks with a 19% FOC arrow. Mm-hmm. Every single one of those deer the arrow snapped four inches behind the insert in the same spot so you have that heavy massive up front Mm -hmm. when it hits something the back of the arrow is a twist looks like a wet noodle yeah and it just snaps yeah so yes i killed the deer yes it did its job but that heavy foc arrow is supposed to blow right through it right Mm -hmm. that's the most penetrating thing well my arrow was so inefficient because it was trying to make up for all the heavy weight up front the back of the arrow was doing all kinds of crazy stuff mm-hmm. to correct itself, mm-hmm. and I lost a bunch of energy. Mm-hmm. And that was the down downside for it. You, I couldn't get them to tune right because it, the front of the arrow was so demanding and the back of the arrow needed to do so much stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I just didn't have the experience that I wanted. My pin gaps were huge. So mm-hmm. I, I had, like, I think shooting a heavier arrow, a heavier shaft, yeah. is probably a better way to go than shooting... A high FOC. That's just my opinion, and but you'll see a lot of people talking about right now. Like they're the biggest names in archery are heavy FOC, heavy FOC, heavy FOC, seven hundred fifty grain arrows. Because they were sold this information that is based off of traditional archery equipment. Mm-hmm. It's based off of long bows. It's based off of recurves. It's not based off of compound bows, right? Which have a totally different need. We're transmitting a lot more energy than right a traditional bow, right? And like I mentioned earlier, like guys are looking at more FOC. The thing is, is, at our shop, we don't, I don't really think we've had an arrow where guys come in and I want this at 750 grains. And I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, I'm like, what are you hunting? They're like whitetail. So, so why do you think you need a 650 grain, a 750 grain arrow to kill whitetail? Well, I heard it from here and this is, you know, they shoot this arrow and they go, you're going to blow through everything. I'm like, okay, let me put it for you this way. Before all of this, I'm like, even when I started hunting, I'm like, 2007, 2008, 2009, guys were using regular arrows with inserts and smoking through deer. (laughs) Right. I'm like, so why all of a sudden is it 
you got to have a 750 grain arrow or you're not going to be able to right. blow through a deer. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, that helps if you hit a bone maybe. I'm like, but so does having the right broadhead too. That's the, that's it. So I don't get caught up in it either. I think my arrow right now, I have 150 grains up front. And I'm like, that's great number. Right. Perfect. When the guy comes in with, all right, I got a 200 grain insert and I got a 300 grain head. We're going to make this work. I'm like, oh, this is going to be it. It's hard. Yeah. From a tuning aspect, it's hard. But like the there's a, something you can do to your arrow there to where you slow it down so much mm-hmm. that you hide all the flaws in it. Mm-hmm. So what I was told, like the way to think about it is take a, a really fast car yep. and drive it really fast. It's harder to drive. It's harder to maneuver. It's harder to steer. Mm-hmm. Slow it down and drive it. You can drive with one hand. You just go cruising because yeah. it's so damn slow <laughs> that it's just like you hide all the flaws in like your form and the bow. It's just... It, it just takes everything, all the stuff, and hides it. Yeah. So um, the point of that being, like, you have to do enough research, and you have to you have to try the things mm-hmm. for yourself. And don't just take it for what it's worth. I have a lot of information on this podcast from Dorge from Fireknock. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. Right. There's some things that he says that I'm like, it just doesn't work for me. Yeah. But there's some things that I'm like, I wholeheartedly 100% see that happening to my setup. So, I mean, there's just, there's a a ton of information available. To go on your point is to try it. This is not the time of year now to try. Oh, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. We are rolling into August here. You're going to be, because we're at the end of September, so we'll say about two months. Because if you count all August and then again at the end of September until deer season. This is something you do in the spring in, in June. Yes, please. In, in beginning of July. Don't try now. I'm going to build this huge, great arrow because you're going to drive yourself nuts. Because if it doesn't do what you want it to do now, now you're going to be in a scramble. You're going to be trying to get a totally different arrow built. It's it's not even worth it right now. Yeah, stick to what works. That's yeah. like my, like, I, I know it's fun to have what's new. And um, there is some benefit that you can get from tinkering and changing and doing all that stuff if you want a different result. And if you have a bad result from what you were using before, mm-hmm. don't keep doing it. Right. Make a change. But there's, <laughs> yeah, this is not, this is not time. I'm stressed right now, man. I'm stressed. I'm changing my, uh, my mods on my bow. I don't have the sight I'm shooting yet. Mm-hmm. I'm shooting a new arrow this year, the, the MMT arrows. Like, Which I'm stressing. Arrow. Yeah, I'm, I'm stressing, man. Like, I'm. I drew a tag, like, I drew an Iowa tag. It's a once-in-three-year tag. Like, I just want to make sure everything is so perfect. Dude, I completely get it. Um, And actually, going back to your other point, too, is I try to tell guys, you don't need a high-end bow to get high-end performance out of your equipment. Yeah. You can get a mid-price point bow and spend some decent money on accessories, and that bow will perform just as good, if not better, than some of these high-end bows. Yeah, you got to have a good – you have to have a good – uh, broadhead, you have to have a good arrow, and you have to have a, a bow that is efficient enough to shoot them. We but, had a gentleman last year who had a switchback XT shooting 54 pounds, older guy. He's like, I can't draw a lot of weight. My shoulder's jacked up. He's like, I'm shooting deer. He was using an NAP Spitfire. He was just shooting a Carbon Express Maxima Red standard answer. He's like, I'm barely getting penetration because I lost a doe out of it. He's like, so I don't know what I should do for my arrow. We took a, I want to say it was a, a bloodline. Put 75 grain insert and brass insert in it with a 100 grain tip. He went home, sighted in that night, smoked a dough. He's like, dude, it was like a hot knife going through butter. <laughs> I'm like, it's still, I'm like, because he was like, do I need a new bow? He's like, but then I don't want to spend all this money. I'm like, no, you don't. I'm like, we're just going to get you a better arrow and do a better setup and yeah. fix a problem. Right. It could be that easy. Yeah. Yeah. 
hopefully, man, hopefully no one listening here has that issue where they have to do that mid-season or yeah. Like now, now is the time to be honing your setup, not mm-hmm. starting your setup. Right. Well, being in a retail store, we get a lot of last minute. Oh, uh, I can't imagine. It's, I mean, crazy. I mean, you have a lot of guys that have already filled their tag or whatnot, come in the middle of the year and buy a new bow. I'm like, I get it. But we'll have guys come in day before the season. We're two, three weeks, four weeks into the season. They'll be like, all right, I'm ready to get a new bow. I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> I'm like, all right, but like, you don't want to. You know, really shoot the season. I'm just gonna go sight in and go hunt. And I'm like, all right. I mean, eat, teach their own, I guess. That's but, the problem with me with bow manufacturers releasing their bows in November. Mm-hmm. What's up with that? So that has been a gripe from a lot of people, and we actually noticed how much better things were. And again, this is gonna sound biased, but like wait, last year when they released in January, yeah, it kept us busy through the spring and most of the summer, right? Because everyone had to wait to get through hunting season and you're at the tail end in January and everyone's like, Oh my God, they dropped the new bow. I want to try it. it. Yeah. Whereas everyone else did November and you're like, I just got my bows dialed in. If you just picked up last year's model and you're like, and you just dropped the new one in the middle of the rut. Right. And now I'm going to try to sit here and not be like, do I go get a new bow? I'm tempted now. Yeah. Right. We, I've never understood it. I think it's dumb. I'm like, I think everybody, should do it in at least January. I agree with that. Like, get through the hunting season. People can wait a couple extra months. You're yeah. still going to make all those sales. Everything's going to stay the same. And, like, the pro- the shops aren't getting the bows until the spring anyway. Right. And it's it literally is so slow because everyone comes in in November, shoots all the new bows, and I'm like, all right, great, but I already got my bow set up for this year. Most of the guys are already got my bow set up this year. I'm going to just stick I'm with gonna it. I'm not going to buy one right now. Right. So I just – they sit there yep. until we start rolling into – July, like right after the 4th of July is when you kind of start, like it kind of lights a fire. Like everyone's like, oh my God. Deer season. There's coming. nothing in the way now <laughs> until deer season. Right. Yeah. So I really do wish that they would wait and pro- and just release them later. That's something that never made sense to me. The, the podcast I just did was, he was talking about things that have been done the same way. Mm-hmm. He's always just like, why, why do they do it that way? Let's talk about your personal setup, man. What do you, yeah. what, what are you rocking for bow, arrow, sight, rest, the whole, the whole 10? So I am running the uh, Hoyt Carbon RX-7 Ultra this year. Um, I'm a 29 and a half inch draw. Typically I run the shorter bow, but I wanted something a little bit longer, more forgiving. And I actually am shooting higher poundage. I actually got that bow up to 90 pounds for tack, which was screaming. Oh, yeah. But I made sure to build the right arrow for that because I didn't want to send an arrow through my hand. Yeah. Um, so I'm running that bow with a Excel sight housing with an UltraView scope, um, which we touched on that in our gear. Gear gadget. Yeah, the gear yeah. gadget. And loving that. Um, I Actually, this is the first year I switched to a limb-driven. I was a QAD guy since I got my first bow. I've never had bad ish, bad luck with them. I've never had an issue with them. They've performed flawlessly for me. But just trying to improve my setup every year, I was like, what can I do to take even more of the bow out of it so I know if I mess up that it's something messes up, it's me. Sure. So just going to a limb-driven and doing a lot of research and talking to a lot of texts that I know know what they're talking yeah, about. Right. They were like, a limb-driven is going to benefit you tremendously. Why? Just, so your arrow stays on the launcher longer. So I have tied, like, my cord is literally as far back on the limb as I can get it, and it's just the last point to settle 
when you shoot. So your arrow is staying on your launcher longer, so it's more stable as it comes off. So okay. like with a drop away, as soon as that cord tension smacks and it drops out of the way, well, your arrow's already off here, and it's just kind of right. already wiggling through the air. Right. Whereas here, it takes longer for it to move, so it's just like a... I don't know how I want to say it. It's almost like a missile. It's just <laughs> straight sure, as can launched. be. Yeah. yeah. So... It, and I have actually noticed it's helped me tremendously. It has improved some of my accuracy. The other thing that I have changed is I went to a Hamsky Raptor peep this year. Instead of just a standard radical peep, having that long tubing with the UltraView scope and having that long tubing has also like helped me just hone in on my target. And the biggest thing that I've been working on this year is not trying to focus my pin on where I want to put it. But and my dad used to tell me this all the time, but I never really like clicked for me. He's like, find one spot. Or on a deer, he'd be like, find one hair, and he's like, stare at it. Yeah. And if you think, if you actually look at it, you notice your peep sight's round, your sight housing round, your eyeball's round. Yep. When you draw back and you're looking, your mind, when you stare at that spot, it'll just kind of bring everything to where you're staring. Yeah. And it's crazy how much better you are than trying to, like, focus your pin, and guys are all worried about the wobble and your bubble and everything else. Tunnel vision. Yeah. So that has helped me a lot. Um, I'm running... I have two arrows that I'm running this year. The ones I currently have on here are the Easton Sonic. I'm running a 250 spine just because I have this at 82 Not pounds yet, right yeah, now. Yeah. Um, great arrow. I mean, it's got the new AccuCarbon. It's brand new for this year. What diameter is that? That's a six millimeter. And that's, everyone's like, dude, you're going the wrong way. You need smaller. I'm like, I'll be all right. <laughs> I, I'm, yeah, I'm with you there. I'm like, I'll be all right. So I have 150 grains up front. I took the Easton 5075 brass inserts, clipped off the end. They fly great. I'm running AAE Max Stealth Veins. Get great performance out of them. I love AAE Veins. That's um, a good Veins. But I also ran TAC Veins, too, for the TAC event, and they they worked flawless, too. Some guys say they have issues sticking. I've never had that issue. I'm like, as long as you prime them and you have your jig set up right, I never had an issue with them. Um, I got the Hoyt 6- uh, and 10-inch stabilizers this year, as well as their SL Sidebar Mount. Uh, and I'm running their uh, Super Light Stretch Quiver which I got the six arrow and I have their ghost sticks on this year. And it's been a killer setup for me. I have, I've always been happy with my bows in the past. I am tickled to death with how this is shooting this year. I'm extremely happy. You're rocking a nose button too. Mm -hmm. And it was funny because I would shoot distance and I'm like, man, I feel like my anchor's off and the way I'm looking through my peep. And I was talking to one of the techs down at the Ashland store and he's like, dude, put a nose button on it. And I was like, why? He's like, because it's going to force you to stay at your anchor and it acts as a pivot point for when you shoot distance. And it's helped tremendously. Like, my sight still stays perfectly aligned. My form isn't changing. And it's helped my distance shooting a lot. Whereas before, as I even try to kiss her, but I'm still like, yeah, but I'm just, it's not working how it's supposed to. Right. So having the nose button, and I did the bigger one, just, you know, being Italian and I got a, a big nose. So <laughs> <laughs> I had to find something I could find a little bit easier. So that's why I went with the bigger one. Um and then the most important thing I will say on a bow is having a good set of strings and cables. Agreed. Um, if you try to call bow manufacturers, they will straight up tell you we are a bow manufacturer, not a string manufacturer. Really? Because mm -hmm. we've had brand new bows, have bad serving, peep rotations, crazy. And they're like, yeah, well. <laughs> we're a bow manufacturer. Yeah, we're not a string manufacturer. They put one on there is going to hold it. For example, I run gas bow strings. I've never had an issue with them. That's what we sell at the store. But there are plenty. Oh, yeah, there's great. a ton. I'm I mean, rocking with my man, Tony. Yeah, I was just going to say, Tony has been coming along, and his strings look really good. Yep. They look really, really good. 
I actually, I'm hopefully going to be buying another bow, and I told him I'm going to have him cook me up. Yeah, he'll, he'll hook him up. Um, but no, man, this is, I, I constantly am always thinking, though, of like next year and what I want to run, and I don't know if I want to go longer again next year, if I want to go shorter, but. I guess you'll have to see what they come out with. Right, and so many times guys are like, well, that's too long. You're going to hunt with a 34-inch axle axle bow? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, it's something, as soon as I get in my stand, whether it's a lock-on or a ladder stand or if I'm hunting in a blind, take the time, draw your bow. Yeah, make sure you're All okay. your different angles. Okay, I'm not hitting here. I'm not hitting here. I've never had an issue hunting with an ultra. People hunt with long bows and recurves out of a tree stand. Like, it's they're 60-some-inch bows. Yeah. And you got to remember, bows in the early 2000s and 90s were a lot longer than this. Yeah, they weren't parallel-limbed. Like No, <laughs> and they hunted out of tree stands with bars in front of them, never had issues. Right. That's so, always just like a, a thing I think people pay too much attention to. The only time it's ever gotten really close was out of a summit. Yeah. Draw it. I mean, your cam, depending on where, the where you're at. Is. Oh, yeah. You just, something to be weary of. Yeah. And just be cautious of. And in a blind, it's definitely a thing. And yes. Like, if you have a 36-inch axle-to-axle bow in a blind, like, that's definitely something you need to be cautious of. Mm-hmm. And that that's something I always, like, catered towards the shorter axle-to-axle bows because I was like, I like to hunt in a lot of cover and mm-hmm. I hunt blinds and stuff. But, it, like, if I had a 4-inch longer bow, like, it's not going to make any big of a difference. It's actually going to make you more stable. Right. It The shorter bows just fit me better. I'm yeah. A short guy, short draw. Mm-hmm. They just fit me better and I shoot them better. I feel like when I'm... <coughs> Even right now, I'm shooting the 29-inch axle to mm-hmm. axle, which is not a long bow, but for a Matthews, the riser is long. It right. feels big. Right. My triax feels like mini, and it's one inch shorter mm-hmm. axle to axle, but like a riser length, mm-hmm. it's way shorter. They have the longest riser to axle to axle length in that bow, and it's great because it makes it feel like it's a longer bow, which makes it more stable. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm just not shooting it as well. What about outside of like the archery stuff? What's your what's your gear, go-to gear setup? So I actually switched camo this year. I don't know if you've ever heard of Osseo gear. Oh yeah, they were on the show. Were they really? I filmed the whitetail cribs with Joe. I oh, turkey hunted with Joe. I that has got to be some of the coolest camo I've ever seen. Oh, and, yeah. and when I say cool, I don't mean like you should buy because oh it's cool. Like when I looked at the science back behind it, I'm really studying that pattern, and I'm like. This looks really, really cool. So had a buddy of mine buy it, and he was like, dude, you got to get it. I'm telling you, it's the greatest thing ever. He's like, I'm going to take a turkey hunt. And I'm like, well, you let me know how it goes. He was with his buddy. He had a fluorescent green Yeti with him, which mm-hmm. was the only dumb thing he did that day. <laughs> so he literally tucked himself into a tree. He had the mask on and everything, and he sat on the ground, and the dude took a picture of him. You couldn't even see him. Really? Like, all you saw was a little fluorescent green water bottle. I'm like, you better hope the turkeys don't see yeah. that. Um, but he blended in unbelievably well. And then I started going on YouTube and just watching whitetail hunting videos. And I saw some guys were hunting out of saddles and using them. And I mean, deer walking right underneath them, right by them, not even paying any attention to them. And I'm like, this looks like some pretty good stuff. So I actually just picked up their midseason fleece. And it is the materials and everything, it looks really nice. I mean, the pockets, the way everything, like the fit and finish of it. The customer service is great. Yeah, they're great guys. I mean, I called them just to talk to them. He talked to me for 40 minutes on the phone. You talked to Joe or Kevin? Joe. Joe. Yeah, that's the owner. Mm-hmm. Like, you just called and talked to the owner. Yeah. Yeah. And he just was, ha- I mean, breaking everything down for me because I'm asking him all kind of questions because I'm like a scent control freak. Right. I cannot stand, like, when I hunt with my uncle, I love him to death. But he'll just, like, you know, he'll wear his camo in his truck, and I know he's works maintenance, so I know his truck stinks. And, like, he gets out, and he has, like, just a bottle of dead done wind, and he'll just kind of, you know, spritz all over himself. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, I have literally a whole system. Like, every time I'm done hunting, 
clothes don't even go anywhere near being in the house unless they're in a scent crusher bag or a scent lock bag. In the bag, <laughs> zipped up. Before I go out, almost every use, I'll put it on either like a five-minute cycle, like if I'm in a rush, or like the night before, I'll put it on a half-hour cycle. Sure. Never get dressed in my house. I know some guys are like, well, that part doesn't really matter, but... I'll throw my base layers on at the house, but that stuff, same thing. I'll go from the scent crusher bag onto me, and then as soon as I walk out, I douse myself. And, like, I use scent away field spray with their nano shield stuff. I love it. Um, we'll drive out. Same thing. Get out. I'll spray myself again just because whatever odors I have in, in my truck. truck yeah. I'll use one of them scent crusher, like you plug in this, like a cigarette yeah, lighter yep. to kill your odors. Um, but... So get all my clothes out, everything, get dressed outside the truck. I never try to make contact with, like, anything in my truck as soon as I get out of it. I try to make sure, okay, I keep my pistol, everything with me. I got my bow out first. Now I'll get dressed and then close everything. Hell, yeah. It's because I don't want any of them odors. I'm like, uh-uh. And I'm very cautious, obviously, of my wind, which a lot of guys, it surprises me, aren't. They're just like, it's yeah, I'm going to go bogus. hunt this stand. Yeah. And I'm like... You can't kill a deer like that. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know where my bedding areas are and how they work. I'm like, I can't... Knowing... Like, for example, on my property, I cannot hunt an east wind in my back right corner because it blows right into my bedding area. So I just won't do it. Um, but I'm excited to try that Osseo gear. I'm going to get some of their late season stuff, too, because that looks really nice. I'm just waiting for their backpacks to come back in stock because I want to yeah, get yeah, one yeah. of those. Dude, those packs are sweet. I, they are. And looking at it, there's, like, compartments for everything. It fits everything comfortably. Like, I'm excited to get my hands on that i'm gonna rock some of that too this year i know they're they're also working on a pant for saddle hunters that has knee pads built in mm -hmm. i'm excited for those the vest is freaking money which don't they have two vests is there yeah the late season vest is mm -hmm. and the mid the midweight one too it's fleece has windstopper like it's freaking money yeah i went down i filmed a whitetail cribs episode and turkey hunted with joe mm -hmm. this uh this spring uh got like the whole run through their tour like their facility and went out to lunch with them a couple times kevin is from um, I'm going to screw this up. <laughs> Medina? Is he Ohio? Yeah. yeah. Kevin is, oh, I want to say Medina, somewhere up there, or um, somewhere in the, <coughs> the vicinity of Northeast Ohio. He's from here originally mm -hmm. and moved down to film with Joe and work with Joe <coughs> through Team 200 and all the stuff that Joe's done. But, uh, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of what they have going on there. I actually, Kevin texted me today. Uh, at eleven twenty three this morning, asking about the Exodus arrows. Oh, that's so awesome! I just you reminded me, talking about that reminded me to reply to him. But yeah, um, big fan of the Osu gear. Cool to see some local guys rocking that. I mean, mm -hmm. the thought behind the camo pattern is it's the, crazy. The like the most efficient predator in the woods mm -hmm. is an owl. Yeah, and they just replicated an owl's camo pattern. Mm -hmm. Like they are successful at hunting. Mm -hmm. They like they hide from what animals see. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. Their prey can't see them. So why wouldn't you try to? You have the same prey. Yeah. Like why wouldn't you try to replicate that? And it's like the biggest thing about me is I, I mean I go through cam almost every year. Like again trying to what what is the best? Like last year I used Element Outdoors because of their scent control. And when I saw that, that's why I was like, well, this could benefit me even more. So. That's yeah. why I'm switching again. And it's if there's one thing though, is that stuff will be used. I will in any environment I can get it in, I, I will use it just to see, okay, well, how does it work if I'm in an open skyline or if I got a lot of green foliage behind me or whatever the case may be. But it looks like it works with everything. Like yeah. it doesn't matter if you got green behind you, if it's a bare sky, 
And it, I think for blinds, too, a darker camo. Like, yeah. I feel like it's a home run all the way around. Yeah, I'm excited for those guys. I mean, and <clears throat> Joe being a textile expert, uh, they're working on some base layers and stuff, too, that I know. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for them. What about uh, – what are you rocking for boots? I run muck boots. Um, I Big used rubber boot to, guy. Yeah. Earlier in the season, I'll use a set of lacrosse. Um, I have their arrowheads. Mm-hmm. I loved lacrosse rubber boots. They were the only boots I ever bought. But I kept noticing later in the season, I'm like, man, no matter what socks I wore, I'm like, my stinking feet were cold. Yeah. I don't know what it, the difference, like, because I don't look into boots too much. I look at just the insulation and how the scent control part of it's mm-hmm. going to work. And I switched to mucks, and my feet, like, just stopped getting cold. And I never understood Was there more insulation, it. less insulation? They, I got their Arctic extremes, Yeah, I want to say, and they would work, like, up, they said, negative 60 degrees. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, that'll work. Prove it. <laughs> and they actually, I mean, they worked great. And then I'm, I'm getting a new set this year where I guess they teamed up with another manufacturer. And it's got, like, the sole is supposed to be a lot better. It was made by an outside company, and they partnered with Muck. And then they actually have, like, these little pieces underneath the boot that are designed to, like, create a chemical reaction with, like, ice or snow to help melt it under your foot so you have better grip. What? So you don't slip. That's when, that's exactly what I said. A dude who's working the boot wall told me, I was like, what? I was like, how is that? He's like, dude, I'm telling you right now. He's like, it works. That's neat. So that with a pair of darn tough socks, which Marino. are probably the yeah. warmest socks that I've ever put on in my life. Lifetime warranty socks, dude. As like, long as what? you keep your receipt. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. They were great. I, I can't complain at all, but that's... It's my boot setup. Um, is there anything else? Like we've been going here for an hour. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you're like? I gotta tell people about this. This is like something I use. I love it. I, I, I take it to my take it to the woods with me every single time. Mm. Mm, mm. That's a tough one. Um, I'd probably say a set of binos. Yeah, big, big, big. Believe yes. it or not. So, I'll tell you a story. A couple years ago, I was hunting down in Columbiana. And it was gun season, and it was last light. I got up to leave, and I walked up the soil hillside. Well, behind me, I could hear, like, walking, and I turn around, and I could just see the flicker of a tail. I'm like, oh, it's a deer. So, like, I'm trying to look through my scope, and I'm like, I can't see any antlers. I'm like, I'm zooming in in the scope, and I'm like, I don't see any antlers. I'm making sure that this is like a doe. I'm like, because I don't want to shoot a small buck, right? Right. Don't see any antlers. Boom, shoot. Takes off running. It was a four-point. Oh. I mean, thinner than my pinky rack. But I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you have a $1,000 pair of binoculars in your <laughs> truck. Why didn't you bring them? Right. Because without having a good set of glasses, you're, you're kind of defeating yourself. You don't know. Number one, to help you identify what it is farther off. But also, you know, that buck you draw back on that you're looking at with your eyes, you're like, that's a really nice deer, and you shoot, and you're like, he wasn't as big as I thought he was. Binoculars will help you a lot. Yep. So having a good set of glass with you, I would say, is probably one of the most important things. And honestly, the other thing would be just like a little survival kit. Yeah, that's just, big. Just like something small in case you – like some guys, if you hunt behind your house, whatever, yeah, like I do. But I still always have it because you don't know – Trip and fall, you cut yourself. You're carrying sharp broadheads. <laughs> right. Like, there's a lot of things that go wrong. Just something that kind of, in the back of your mind, God forbid, like, safety. I was sitting in a muddy lock-on last year. Thank God I had my hunter safety system vest on, leaned over to scratch my leg. The weld for the seat platform snapped. Stop. I l- tipped almost out of my tree stand, turned around and grabbed <laughs> my safety harness to save me. What? 
pulled myself back up and I was like, holy crap. I didn't know that. Yeah. Damn. It man. was crazy. And you know what? Like, they honestly at first, unless I gave them a receipt, didn't want to help me. What? I sent them pictures. I was like, um, yeah, what are you gonna do here? <laughs> I'm like, this is in my tree right now. I'm like, I haven't, I didn't cut this or anything like that, but always having that little, just like safety kit that I could have reached in my bag if I needed a knife or something to cut myself loose. Yeah, little peace of mind. Right. Sure. I, I like that. Safety isn't very sexy. That's something we talk about a little bit about. Mm-hmm. Safe, safety isn't very sexy. And, but it, when it comes down to it, like it's, it's like number one. Like mm-hmm. if you want to be able to continue to do this stuff, you got to be safe. And that's so many guys don't think about it, man. Having a, and safety harnesses expire. Yeah. Having a good safety harness, I cannot stress that enough. I've, almost fallen out of tree stands before hanging tree stands i've seen guys fall out of tree stands one of my dad's friend's son fell and they had a life flight on the cleveland fractured his spine so didn't have a safety harness on so being safe man that is the number one thing there always be another day to go hunting just make sure you get home to go see that other day right yeah i think that's a great place to leave off here man thank you a bunch for coming in spending a couple hours with us here uh we'll have to do this again i really appreciate it absolutely i'm gonna be back in the freaking bow shop i can tell you that here <laughs> i gotta get new cam for my triax i think everyone here on the podcast has heard that <laughs> fiasco yep and i need to change my lead off uh, i just I, I don't know if i'm gonna hunt this year i'm just gonna no, <laughs> dude, we'll get you fixed <laughs> up I'm just kidding but all right guys uh if you need to find luch if, if people want to find you reach out to you if they want to come buy a bow from you where can they find you? You can find me at Finn most days. Um, if not, my social media, man, I'm on Instagram. I believe it's just Luciano Romeo. Um, look me up. If you have any questions, please feel free to message me. I have customers all the time. If you have any questions, you need anything, if you want to know if we carry anything you're looking for, please don't hesitate to reach out and message me. Um, Instagram is probably what I'm on the most. So. Perfect. Yeah, guys, check it out. Uh, if you guys check out the YouTube video on the Exodus channel on my bow build, you'll see Luch working on my bow there. So, Thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Cameron, thank you again, man. I appreciate it.